Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith. And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics. We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policymakers, and issues that face voters. Hi, Deirdre. And hi, Neil. Thank you for having me on. Uh, hello, Robbie and Deirdre. Glad to have you. Yes, it's it's great to be on. I, I appreciate the opportunity to um, come in and, and discuss a, a topic that's near and dear to me and to my heart now. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for Stay a little with- bit of background, uh, did you want to just maybe in a short couple minutes just talk about a little bit of background and why you're newsworthy. Well, um, what has occurred is um, I had an article written about me by a um, a certain Canadian media publication um, that outed me, that gave my name, um, said that I was a civil servant and uh, I was very rude on Twitter, that I was a, basically, I was the king of the Twitter, Twitter trolls. Or, or the king of Twitter, I'm not really sure what it was exactly now. Um, since then, uh, it, it became quite newsworthy. It's been shared around quite a bit on Twitter. And um, just for some background, I, I I was anonymous, relatively anonymous. I had my picture in my name. I've left quite a few breadcrumbs as to my identity. I don't believe it was very hard for this uh, news organization to find out who I was. I received notification on Monday night from people who have appeared on my podcast um, that this organization was looking for a comment on, on an article they're writing about me that was going to name me. I decided at that time that I was going to change my bio to reflect my name to try and, you know, perhaps take the power back. It wasn't willingly that I put my name um, out there, but, you know, I had a lot of people who, who came through, um, journalists, pundits, who kind of gave me a crash course in, in what to do. Um, so that's basically what the story came out. I made a statement yesterday, kind of through through my blog. I appeared on, on a podcast and a radio show explaining it. And yeah, it doesn't seem to be dying down at this point. Yeah, for sure. And so Deirdre and I were talking and that story's obviously been well documented for those who are on Twitter. But what we want to kind of talk about is a little bit more about online identities in the political sphere and why some of the decisions are made as to whether or not to have your identity out there or not. And Deirdre and I obviously have some experience with that as well. Mm -hmm. Let's start with uh, your first social media account. Um, I know when I started mine, mine actually was, uh, I don't know, I had a mommy blog is what I did. And I didn't really understand how to use Twitter. So just throwing that out there that that's actually a thing that you need to do. Um, But I had the name of my blog. I did have my first name on there, but that was it. And it really didn't do what I wanted it to do. I didn't know how to set up my Twitter. My second one uh, was I did not put my full name on there because I was, you know, 
I, I was around when the internet first started and I was told that women should protect their identity, especially online. And so my last name wasn't out. Uh, my handle was actually Deirdre's BA because I just graduated from university and I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And then someone made fun of it one day and called me Deirdre's batshit crazy. And I was like, I don't like that. So I changed it. And that was, I mean, when, oh, that was when I got into politics. That was my second Twitter account that I came into politics with. So Robbie, tell us like how, what did you start your social media account with? How did you decide to uh, name yourself and, and what was it for? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how old Neil is, but I'm 36. And so Facebook or Twitter have essentially been around for most of my um, early 20s. And uh, my, I guess, in, entry into politics and into punditry. So I've had social media basically back to 2007, 2006. I got Twitter the first year that it opened, but wasn't really active on it. And uh, I guess quote unquote, having grown up on social media, I'm one of those millennials that didn't really think about it at first. And it's just kind of what I've always known and always done. Um, and so my name's always been out there. Uh, I have operated blogs um, on politics, on current affairs, and on music as well. And so all of that is out there under my name. And yeah, I've never really had a high degree of anonymity online. I guess for, for myself, hearing your story, I'm, I'm older than you. Um, I remember accessing the internet for the first time before university where I was blown away that I could get the um, the script for the movie Slapshot. Um, I, I was on Facebook for a period of time. I got off of Facebook. I started um, this Twitter account in April 2016. I never anticipated on it becoming a, a going concern. I, I came honestly to make fart and dick jokes and to follow the comedians and athletes. And so, at some point, having always been a politically engaged person, I, especially in coinciding with Andrew Scheer becoming leader of the Conservative Party, I just kind of flipped out one day and I, I, I sent an angry tweet to Jerry Ritz and it, it exploded. And I went from having 13 followers to 180 followers and, you know, two years and, you know, close to, to you know, two years now actually have passed since then. And I'm at 13,000 and I, I was ill prepared, I think, to, to have a following. You know, I, mm. I didn't really quite mature with the, with the following. You know, it, it's funny. People hear me on my podcast. They they read what I have to write, and say that I, I sound different on those in the, on those two mediums. And you know, I guess for me that this has been a learning um, opportunity. I guess in, in that sense, but I, I never really prepared myself for for having a following, and it never really dawned on me that I had a following and that I you know, that I speak for people who can't speak. So that, you know, at first my anonymity was based on the fact I didn't want to be on Twitter. It was just there for, for a few things and to make jokes and try to be an amateur comedian. And then at a certain point, I, I realized I'd made enemies of conservatives. And then this year I got into it with rebel media and types and, you know, the yellow vests, when that whole story happened, I had people make threats to me by, by DM. 
I had people um, comment on my blog in the comment section and, and through my email address. And, you know, that, that that's kind of been, been my concern at this point, not to mention the fact that I, I'm my wife is very protective of, of her employment. And I, I never want what I do in my activism to to blow back on the people I love. So mm-hmm. that that's kind of been my my concern. Um, yeah, sorry, sort of going off on a rant there. No, no, that's fine. Um, so that actually, I guess, also comes into one of the things that that I did. So I've always used my real name. However, because I worked, um, I mean, I live out in rural Alberta. Obviously, my political uh, engagement is not really in line with a lot of conservative rural Alberta. And I had, like, I was a career coach. So I had people coming into my office, and I didn't want the two uh, to ever meet, so to speak. So I had a um on my twitter account that was my maiden name uh mitchell on linkedin i used my my name that i would apply for jobs with that i had in my work which was mclean and on facebook i actually used my middle name uh which is winter and at one point when when the three combined it was this fun Thing where people had no idea what my name was. So people that knew me from Twitter knew it as Mitchell. Um, when I put in my application to be on the board of the Alberta party, I got a phone call and someone said, or yeah, someone said, are you applying to be on the board? And I said, yes. And they said, your last name is McLean because that's what I had put on my application. And it, uh, so actually that's how I ended up hyphenating my name was because I was trying to bring all of my social media together and let people know who I was. That's how I had to do that. Robbie, we were talking as well about uh, the, like how you got into politics online. And with me, that was a second account, like I said. Um, What, like what brought you into politics? What did you start that first account for? Uh, well, I've always been politically engaged since a young age, but as far as politically active, only really in about the last four years or so. And I had started an account in 2009 and hadn't really used it for much, um, interacted occasionally with celebrities or things like that, that uh, I had an interest in, but it wasn't really until I joined the Alberta Party Board in 2016, June of 2016, that I started to get political and active on there and gradually just became more and more active and started to build a following. And then I became the social media manager and eventually the vice president of communications for the party. So it became kind of a primary outlet for my communications. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I had that account that had my name, but I was also in a public facing role for a political party in the province. So at that point, sometimes I would be controversial, but I would never be um, overtly partisan or attacking in how I communicated. But I did have a sock account that I did use at the time that um, I would kind of take some partisan pot shots or be a little bit 
I'll say silly with, um, <laughs> where I thought it might reflect poorly upon the organization if that came from my account. Yeah, and I've got a SOC account as well, not because I started a SOC account, but because I actually started an account I was employee with the Alberta government in 2015 when I started becoming politically engaged and I had started an account in my role there uh, but the Ministry of Seniors we had to do these environmental scans and I thought hey Twitter's great for news it's really not great for news about seniors just throwing that out there um, not really their platform but I had started that so I have this other account that I use and basically just to, you know, be able to see people that have blocked me, but I don't actually interact with it. Um, myself, I, I do have a, um, I have a second account, which is for, for my podcast specifically. Um, a while back I intended on, you know, I had this aspiration of starting this Ontario proud fighting type thing. <laughs> and I was going to start a, a Twitter account based on that and see if I can get people interested and then I decided to do the podcast and I, I morphed that account into my podcast. It's not a SOC account and I don't generally use it to amplify my tweets. Mm -hmm. um, generally, I, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of messages, direct messages in the daytime from people asking me to retweet or to, um, to, to get their message out there. And sometimes rather than me sending out 700 tweets a day on, on my account, I will kind of bump things over to that. Um, okay. So, yeah, I do interact with it, but generally it's it's been for promoting my podcast, although I, I, I'm kind of looking at it now going, I don't really think this is necessary 100%, but, you know, there's 1800 followers on it. I'm not sure what what what, what to do with it, but it's not it's it's not important to my social media footprint. It's not important to what I'm what I'm doing going forward. I don't use it as a, you know, as like I post something and say, yeah, yeah, and with the other account, yeah, Neil's the best. Like he's right. You're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I I use it. I use it. I use it to try and give amplification to the causes and people that I that I that I support. Mm -hmm. What was your pathway into getting into politics online, Neil? Well, I, I've always been politically engaged. I, I I've worked as a volunteer in a number of campaigns. I've worked directly for a number of campaigns from i mean e even from from childhood being engaged politically my parents were true true orange ndp lefties um although they did see the liberal side of it they were they were you know fans of pierre trudeau provincially they supported bob ray um i grew up in a household where my father taught me that you know we'd watch the news and i'd something beyond about brian Mulroney. my dad would criticize him and i'd say yeah brian Mulroney sucks and my dad would say, well, why does he suck? And I'd be like, I don't know. You said that. And he said, well, why don't you, you know what? I'm going to buy you the Globe and Mail tomorrow. You're going to read it and you're going to tell me why he sucks or he doesn't suck. And so we always had challenging political conversations. But to be honest with you, becoming, having a, having a daughter that, that was reaching adulthood in the world she was being left is what is what one of the things that really drove me into it. For some reason, Andrew Scheer being elected liberal, liberal or sorry, conservative party leader, terrified me. I, I looked at who supported him. I looked at the support behind him. I looked at Kenny leaving and heading to Alberta. I looked at Kathleen Wynne's support or lack of support, and I thought, 
there are tough times coming for, for liberals and progressives, and I need to get in the fight. And, and as I said, it, it almost happened accidentally. I've always been passionate. I had a blog at one time in the early 2000s. I, one of those people who argued people in coffee shops about politics. We have very vigorous political conversations at home. But I, I find that looking at the right and the rise of the right in, in the direction the right has taken and the support that underpins the Conservative Party of Canada is what really brought me into political action or, you know, social media uh, be, into becoming a Twitter uh, pundit, I guess. Fair enough. And so another thing that we were talking about is how do you feel that your account, do you, how do you feel that that's impacted or, or what do you feel that your impact has been on political discourse? And do you think that your, that a level of anonymity, you know, has something to do with how you've how you've interacted well that's a great question um i, I can answer it so my impact on, on twitter I, I don't purport to be important i don't i don't think that i'm i'm not deluded and i do not think that in the grand scheme of things i i mean a whole lot to the discourse um i feel that you know beyond the vulgarity beyond this you know, I was on a Linda Steele show yesterday and she said to me, she said, basically called my account to Twitter, a, a, a toxic sewer pipe. Yeah. And my response to that was, okay, I'm going to take issue with that because I do take issue with that. If you look beyond the vulgarity, you look beyond some of the colorful language I use and you go through my Twitter account and, and take a look at the, the, the facts that I bring into it, the, how, when... I'm answering someone back. I just don't give my opinion. I'll go find what their votes were, what what is in the media about them. Um, I find stories. Uh, beyond almost any conservative MP that's on there, I have a file on my computer with links of all their previous votes. These are things that I've kind of done myself in opposition research. You know, I, I think sometimes vulgarity has gained me fans, right. possibly. But I, I think that you know, you don't get a following on Twitter without have, without people feeling that you have something valid to say. I don't think I'm a, a toxic sewer pipe. And, you know, I wasn't going to get angry and attack Linda Steele because, frankly, she was as fair as, judging from her tweet before I came on the show, I thought she was going to attack me. She gave me an opportunity to speak. She was fair beyond that one comment, you know. Mm -hmm. And But I, I actually think that I, I can bring... I, I can make make um, a small amount of change. I think my voice can make a difference. And do you feel that 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 level of anonymity that you did have, um, because as you said as well on on when you were talking with Linda Steele, you said that you would be more conscientious going moving forward. And do you feel like the loss of anonymity is is what is making gonna, you is going to affect me going forward well yeah like is is it is, well, is that what what's making you pay attention to it so to speak thank you oh, oh that's great um let me think <laughs> let, let, let me give that the same level of thought that you gave to the question um okay now in, in this article yesterday there are these my greatest hits right and as <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were talking before 
I, you know, I don't back away from that. I think calling Andrew Coyne a marzipan dildo is the greatest tweet that I've ever sent out. Mm -hmm. And I'm still going to make funny little jokes like that. Now, am I going to call a conservative MP an effing idiot again? I think I can be more effective if I just point out why the person's an idiot and not calling them. Yes, okay, I, I'm going to call <laughs> them an idiot still. I'm not going to call them an effing idiot. But I, I, it's not that I called her an effing idiot. I backed up why I thought she was an idiot afterwards. I think that maybe some of the more aggressive, regressive profanity sometimes might be the focus of the tweet and not what the what the message of the tweet is. I. I I just don't want my foul language to detract from my message. And I'm going to try, I'm going to try to be legitimately more conscientious about that because I, I never realized that I had a platform until, you know, this really made me think things over. So mm -hmm. I, I think this is going to have a good effect on me. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to kind of take a step back for, for a few days from things. Well, this blows over. I, I sent them a, a tweet out today saying that I'm not, because a part of the story was that I'm a federal public, a federal civil servant. I've not been a federal civil servant since I joined Twitter. Mm. I work for an I work for an employer who does government work. Um, if I did ever do a government work in, in any form of of contract or situation that involved federal government or provincial government work, I would not have tweeted during that time. But I was unequivocally not a federal public servant during this time. So that that seems to be the, the basis that, that people are attacking me on that. And I just wanted to come out and, and explain that today that I'm not a civil servant. So a lot of these politicians, and there have been parliamentarians who've been attacking me based on this by name. Um, I just wanted to make it clear that I wasn't. And to explain why, you know, I've always been purposely vague about my employment and for good reason, for this reason, if I, new i mean i'm going to i have to disclose to my employer what's happening right now i have to because i feel that i'm despite what people say about me on twitter i'm an ethical person and i'm gonna have to disclose to them what's happening and this may have negative ramifications and you know what i'll take responsibility for my actions and my words but you know i'd be getting phone calls right now at work and my employers would be getting phone calls it wouldn't give me the time and space that i would have to do this not to mention the fact that my loved ones people that i hold dear to me are public civil servants who don't have a platform and a lot of times i tweet on their behalf i send tweets that i have friends who are who are affected by the phoenix pay system you know one of them helped me ghost write and kind of an opinion piece on how that's impacted their lives. I put my name on that, right? Because I, because as you can tell right now, sometimes having an opinion as a public servant is going to get you fired or going to get you in trouble or have someone write a story about you. So right. I, I just want to be clear about that. I've always been vague about my employment for good reason. I'm not anonymous anymore and I'm not going to be vague. So do you think that part of the motivation in doxing you and putting your real identity out there is an attempt to try and silence you you know i've been thinking about this a lot i mean of course like you know yesterday i sat there with a with a cup of with a cup of a cup of scotch wow that makes me sound classy um <laughs> I, I sat there last night you know because i haven't eaten in three days right i i haven't been sleeping and you know i i, I sat there last night and i I've made enemies. I'm not I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not this Oliver Stone's type who that squirrel's looking at me funny, you know, that's conspiracy. But 
I, I think you'd have to read the story in Black Locks Reporter and you have to judge for yourself what you think it is, whether there's anything involved in that. I'm not going to speak to that. I guess, you know, I'd like to get your opinion, what you think of that, like what you what you think after having read those things. Uh, that's that's a good question. Um, so, yeah, obviously, I work in political communications. And one of the things that I see is that sometimes the method can muddy the message. And I think that that's kind of what I've taken away from what I've read and observed of your experience. Um, it's not that anything that you're saying is necessarily wrong, but people are taking umbrage with how you're saying it. And when an organization goes to the lengths of doing research and finding out what your real identity is and trying to disclose that, what they're attempting to do i believe is to hold you accountable or to try and make you think twice before you speak out and i think it's a symptom of a system where for example civil servants don't actually have the latitude to be able to speak out without fear of repercussions and even when it comes to things that are nonpartisan, like people getting paid properly isn't in my view a partisan issue it's just a you know basics of business kind of issue and so you being in a position where you've got civil servants in your life that don't feel that they can speak out or that they can criticize something like that that's not working and and isn't meeting their functional needs i think that that's uh, a symptom or a sign that we've got a problem in our democratic system um i understand why civil servants need to be a partisan and need to be neutral but there are also times where it makes sense for them to be able to speak out in a way that there aren't repercussions so for me i just don't see any other motivation other than trying to silence dissent and stifle your voice have you ever experienced something like that, Robbie? Uh, I think because I've been pretty open, I haven't, but I know people that have. Mm -hmm. um, and I've worked with other political advocates who have had their places of employment and information disclosed where they are in sensitive positions but for myself I, like I've worked with in the food service industry for 20 plus years and before I got involved in politics I went to my bosses and I said you know here's what I'm doing do you have any concerns here's what my plans are here's what you know I'm passionate about and what I'm going to advocate for that type of stuff and sometimes it might not align with your views or what's in your best interest but you know, in the interest of transparency, I want you to know this, right? And if you have any concerns, now it's kind of your chance. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't feel that I've really ever had to censor myself or manage my messaging, but I do know people that have. Mm -hmm. I've always had a an online persona that's very much like my offline persona. And like I was... I was raised in a household where my grandmother was very influential. So I have this, you know, I was, I was raised to mind my P's and Q's. I was raised to uh, be aware of, you know, my reputation, what other people thought of me. And I've spent 
the majority of my career, I think I've only ever had two jobs where I was not in direct contact with uh, clients and customers. So, you know, I have, I've, I've got a long history of kind of customer service work. And, and this is, I remember having, uh, I guess, a conversation on Twitter and someone made a comment, you know, I'm supposed to censure myself because, you know, so that I don't offend somebody. Like, why would I bother doing that? And I'm thinking, it's not hard. Like, this is not something that that I have a, a big, you know, concern over. There's been a couple of times when I'm, you know, maybe a little heated that I'll start replying. But I always think of how is this taken? Because you know it's never taken in the way that you mean it. It's always taken in the way that somebody else reads it, right? It's it's text. And so there are times when I do rephrase something before I send it. But for me, you know, the way that I am online is very, very much the way that I am offline. Yeah, I don't think there's a big disconnect between my online and my public persona. I'm probably actually a little more extreme in my communication with people that I know personally, but uh, certainly that not. level of comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You know what? I, I'm just going to kind of pipe in and say this whole thing about civil servants and, and, and their ability to um, discuss political issues on, on Twitter and social media is complete bullshit. I think that wherever you work should not be able to restrict your freedom of choice or freedom of expression. I understand there's certain things that you know, you should or shouldn't say there, there's lines that you shouldn't cross. And there's lines that I, I crossed, you know, the, and I fully admit to that, that, that things that I, I shouldn't have said. And, but I, I think that as, as, as a Canadian citizen, regardless of where you work, you should be able to talk about your politics. If you're not being paid, if you want, you know, the minute I walk out my office door, I'm not being paid. And I, I think you should be able to advocate for whatever the hell you want. I, I think this, this calling into question, this this constant bashing of the civil service by the by the Conservative Party of Canada and by right wing media is 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 so over the top. And mm-hmm. you know the thought that that they're using me to to bash the, the civil servants, it goes it goes so against the 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 respect that I feel for them, um, the respect that I have for them. This is such bullshit. And I'm I'm sorry to I'm sorry to curse about this, but <laughs> you know I'm. It just it, that angers me because you know what? If I was a civil servant, I would stand up and say, you know what? F you, F all of you, F you, Linda from F you, all these people who are saying this stuff t- about me. You know, mm-hmm. you want to come for me, come at me because I own my words. But uh, after the, the decade of, of Harper, um, you know, like look at Dr. Barry Cook ate, ate so much shit for standing up for his right not to be muzzled as as a, as a government scientist mm-hmm. and what he went what he went through. I I think that this is a complete red herring. I think that they're looking for a way to use me to beat up on the government, and it breaks my heart with all the advocacy work that I've I, I've done on on behalf of of the politicians that I I care for for them to go after Tamara Taggart for for appearing on my podcast. That that's it's it's crazy and and <clears throat> I, you know what I'm trying not to get wound up here, <laughs> but I, I I think that this is goes completely against what I would have thought the conservatives these free speech extremists including Andrew Hughes <laughs> remember that meme he sent out I believe in free speech very fiercely and he misspelled believe yeah um, <laughs> yeah like 
I thought they're the free speech extremists. And the craziest thing about this is the people who defended me the most are right wingers. I got a Spencer Fernando, who I've had have no love for. He mm. wrote an article defending me. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, people said, well, like, look where it's coming from. Well, you know what? He sees this issue for what it is. He even stated, I don't like Neil. I think he's a piece of garbage. Like for some of his things that he advocates, he's attacked me before. But you know what? This is wrong. What's happened to him? And I just, it, it goes against to me everything I thought I knew about political orthodoxy and where conservatives and where liberals sat. But this, to, to bring this back around and tie it up, I think this concept of, of, of civil servants not being able to speak politically is complete and utter bullshit. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, overall, considering both your experience longer term and in just the past week or so, would you say that social media is a positive or a negative for public engagement and for political discourse, or would you say it's kind of net neutral? Um, you know what? It was social media. This is what I think. When Michael Wernick was testifying and he called it the vomitorium, I thought it was such an <laughs> apt term. Right. Now, here's Twitter. It's the darkness and it's the light. We yeah. never before have we had a forum where we can where we can we can message politicians directly and tell them what we think of them. We have a forum to like yes, sometimes it is abused. It can be crazy. It's kind of like the Wild West, you know, before you know Wild West town without a sheriff, right? You a lot of stuff is said. There's a lot of craziness, but in the end, I think it's a good thing and it's a beautiful thing. It's a vomitorium, but it's also the it, it's also one of the greatest political communication tools that that I mean, back in the day when I you know you said you're a blogger from 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 way back when. Did you ever imagine the fact that you'd be able to to tweet to message someone directly and say, hey, I don't agree with what you did, and that they might actually contact you back in the in the public forum. So I think it's, it has a potential for good. I really do. And I think it is a good thing, despite despite the negativity and despite, you know, the trolling, despite the vomitorium. I think it's a great thing. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you worry at all about, on the flip side of it, though, politicians and advocates being able to spread misinformation and lies and have it be propagated so quickly? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm learning about that myself right now, right? Mm-hmm. Linda from mm-hmm. tweeted out this thing about me. I guess my bigger concern with, with, with that, and I'm starting to jump in on you, Deirdre. Um, I think that we... I think politicians who who can block people, like Michelle Ruppel blocks 90% of Canada. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's more of a danger to it. I think that we have to get better at, at combating lies. But I think the people who fall for falsehoods on Twitter or people who are going to fall for falsehoods, whether it's in the media, whether it's disseminated on, on Facebook or in any other form, these are people who are prone to fall for myths from Ontario or Canada Proud. And I don't think we can stop that. I think the left and progressives and liberals have to get better at reacting to it faster. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. And that's something that I would agree with as well with uh, with the ability for people who disagree or people who are working, you know, through, you could say, political advocacy. And that's, in a lot of ways, that's kind of how I see myself online as well is 
is combating some of that misinformation. You know, that's that was that was one of the reasons why I ended up starting uh, this week in Alberta politics. My blog was to start to start really um, giving more information because what I was finding and. I started that in 2017, so I had been politically engaged online since 2015, and I never left. But what I was finding is looking through mainstream media articles, you know, they're summaries. And I wanted to know more. I wanted, I wanted more observation of the room, and I wanted to be able to use a platform like a blog or even like Twitter to be able to say, no, this is what's actually happening. This is something that's actually going on. And that, I, I guess that's why I started doing this, not just to keep up, but also to kind of correct the record in a way. And that's something that I feel is extremely important. And I think that, you know, we've been given such a such a great tool like you said to be able to uh, see this information in real time to be able to respond in real time and you know to to have to have some of those messages especially the misinformation contradicted quickly and with facts yeah it's an it's an important piece the challenge is and there was a poll just re released recently that something like 65% of people don't believe politicians are telling the truth and question their motivations, right? And so how how do you go about establishing trust and credibility on a larger scale so that you can do that effectively? And I don't think that that's a question that I have an answer for, and I'm not sure anybody does at this point. I, I, I firmly believe that um, there are those in in certain political parties who feel that by um, dragging the co the conversation down with misinformation benefits them for benefits them politically, and that's what enrages me. That's what kind of causes me to make comments like marzipan dildo on, on Twitter and and lose my temper. It's the it it's those who willingly disseminate misinformation to try and gain political advantage to me that's the lowest form my my only hope for, through this is that we can cause we can be the lead to a reckoning on this and i mean from all parties that's my goal in the end mm -hmm. I, want, I want i want politicians of whatever stripe liberal ndp the the pp party the cpc i i want them to i want them to, to be held account when they lie i don't care what party i'll you know so that, that that's kind of where i stand on that i just and I don't want to denigrate anyone. I just think that there are people who are going to fall for it regardless. And if there's 65% of people who don't believe politicians, I think that's because 30% of the politicians like that and, yeah. and have no issue feeding into that. So that, that's that's where, where I would stand on that. Awesome. So you've kind of alluded to this a little bit, Neil, but um, knowing what you know now, would you do anything differently if you were to go back and do it all over again? Or how, how do you proceed forward, do you think? I I would have come, um, I would have become, I would have, I would have put my name out there sooner. Um, and in hindsight, 
you know, as cavalier and as bombastic as I, I can act at times, I wish that maybe I could be more reflective of how I am as as a person. I, I think that sometimes maybe maybe my my colorful language may distract my message. That's what you know, there's five or six tweets I wish I never would have sent. That, that's that's what it boils down to. But hindsight's always 2020. I own mm-hmm. and take responsibility for all that. I just wish that I would have taken away their ammunition sooner using my anonymity to, to bash me over the head because, you know, they're saying I'm an anonymous Twitter troll, but I, I don't believe that I was ever really entirely since, you know, I made it when I made a decision to put my picture in November on my on my Twitter page and start a you know, and it started a podcast. I think that my anonymity kind of went out the window at that time. So, you know, I, I wish I would have taken away that ammunition sooner. Mm. Fair. Yeah. You, Robbie, any changes that you would make? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm pretty happy. I, I mean, I've certainly said things that maybe I've regretted in the heat of the moment. Um, but more often than not, it's actually been against my own political party. So, <laughs> Uh, I called them sanctimonious shits one time and uh, got quite a bit of blowback, including from some of our sitting MLAs. Uh, So otherwise, no, um, you know, I do. I'm a firm believer in holding your your own ideology or party as accountable as you do the others and not putting up with shit just because you're on that same team. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, for the most part. I, I don't really have any regrets. I think I'm pretty authentic in my communication and, and uh, yeah. How about you? Um, same. I, I don't have, I certainly don't have any regrets with how, how I did things. Um, one, I guess one thing that was weird was definitely trying to uh, merge all my names. Uh, that was that, you know, I think I still have, like, the Alberta Party has me under three different names still because I came up as three different people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that was just that weird little thing that happened. But, um, but no, I I guess that one thing that does concern me, and you know, again, this is something that we've discussed here and there throughout this podcast, but, um having my real name out there being as as active as i am uh employment is definitely something that you know i understand that i've put my i've put my real name on things and i understand that that could absolutely affect me i live in a in a highly conservative province and i disagree with a lot of things that have gone on so i understand that that could definitely you know, impact me in the future. And, and because I have been so, uh, because I've tried to get my name out there, Mm -hmm. right, between the blog and the podcast. And so I've tried to push that. And yeah, sometimes it makes me wonder if, if it's worth it, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine doing anything else. I, I can't imagine stopping. So that's, you know, that's a choice that that I make and and I make it because I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, we talked about this last night. I was in competition for a position and I know that they had looked into my online presence and saw how political I was. And 
I never got a firm answer as to whether or not that was the reason that I was removed from the competition, but I'm reasonably certain that at that stage, it was a more advanced stage of the selection process that that did play a factor. Um, but I'm the same as you. I, I would much rather have a clear conscience about speaking out about the things that I think are important and right than try and censor or be somebody that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I could tell you one thing um, career-wise and n- knowing that I have a meeting with my employers on, on Friday because of this, I'm screwed for the next little while. I mean, no, I, I have to see what I can do if there's any way that I can clear my name through you know, whatever means, like I said, I don't antagonize any situation, but in my defense, I would like to make an admission that um, over the last, uh, since uh, two, April 2016, since I've been ple- tweeting politically, I've been, um, I was possessed by the spirit of Malcolm Tucker from the thick of it. <laughs> so I, I blame all of my tweeting on that to any prospective employers. Just watch a YouTube supercut of Malcolm Tucker and read my Twitter feed. It is his fault. and i think that that's probably the best place to end this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) thanks thanks so much for joining us yeah yeah thanks for having me on i'm I'm sorry if i kind of ranted ranted off on on occasion but no no, this has been amazing thanks for joining us for this episode this has been the political r&d podcast with robbie krieger smith and deirdre mitchell mclean where can people find you deirdre They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB. And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political R&D Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D. Goodbye, Robbie. Goodbye, Deirdre. (laughs) 